0: Welcome back to the New York Baseball Podcast. My name is Ari Weiss. I'm sitting virtually alongside Noah Schneider. Noah, how's it going? It's going great. How are you, Ari? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm even doing more fantastic today because we have a very special guest on our show today, Evan Roberts on The Fan, WFAN. With, he's a part of the hit afternoon show, Carton and Roberts, from 2 to 6, 30 or 7 Evan, how you doing?
1: I am honored and humbled to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: We are honored to have you on. It's we are huge fans. We listen to your show every single day. Uh, we know how big of a Met fan you are, and you know what? This is not a better. This is, there can't be a better time to have you on a Mets podcast than right after the Mets hire one of the better managers in baseball, Buck Showalter. I mean, let's start with that. Let's. What are your initial reactions to uh, Showalter being the head of the Mets right now?
1: I'm happy. It's a good hire. I want to make that clear. But over the last few years, I have become very, I don't know, just managers have become so overrated over the last few years that, again, it's a good hire. I want to make that clear. I like the hire, but my enthusiasm is very different than what it would have been like three years ago or five years ago. Um, Obviously, I want my manager to be competent. I want them to be able to put a lineup card together without, you know, screwing it up, as we saw Mickey Calloway do early on. So I don't share the same like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever, as other Met fans have. But it's a good, solid hire. And it's nice that, you know, we're not watching a guy learn how to manage right before our eyes. So I'm happy about the hire, but I'm much more excited about the fact that they signed Max Scherzer and signed Starling Marte than I am about them hiring Buck Showalter in fairness.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the with Show Walter, obviously, a, a big part of why I'm happy about Show Walter, not just because of the experience, but the last two managers we've hired had none of it. I mean, they've had they had zero. I mean, Mickey Callaway was a pitching coach of the Cleveland Indians, now Guardians, but with the Indians back then. And Luis Rojas kind of got the job because he was with the organization for so many years. But to hire someone who has this much experience just so cool. And Noah, what do you think
2: about that? No, I, I think it's a good signing. I think, I mean, he has a lot of experience. I mean, I mean, do you really, I mean, I know like the managers, do you think they have like virtually no role nowadays? I mean, well, I don't like upper management. Like, what do you think? Like the role of the manager, is it really like zero? Or you think there's some sort of role?
1: I, no, they they definitely have a role. I think the biggest impact a manager has is in a way in which none of us can calculate and that's how they run a locker room and how they, kind of communicate with their players. And I think Luis Rojas failed in that. You know, I thought one of the biggest mistakes Luis Rojas made more than any strategic move was when he was unaware about what was going on with the whole thumbs down thing. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is the most important thing a manager does. I mean, I looked at Joe Torrey for many years with the Yankees and I don't think anybody looked at him as an X's and O's genius. He was just the perfect guy in that room. So, look, Buck's getting rave reviews from Adam Jones, from Manny Machado, even from Zach Britton, who Buck made a big mistake with uh, many years ago in the wild card game. So I think that's the most important aspect of a manager. But I guess here's the whole point when I talk about managers being overrated. If you take the best manager in baseball and the worst, I'm talking from a strategic standpoint, not the measuring that we can't measure of how you handle a locker room. How many games in the standing difference do they make? And the answer is, it's not a lot. I mean, you could be the most brilliant manager in the world, but the handling of bullpens, you know, is that really translating to eight more wins or seven more wins? So I don't think there's literally a way to calculate how much more a manager brings in terms of wins and losses. But I do think that managing a room matters. And that's the the area that we as fans have a tough time really calculating because, there's no metric to define that, you know, there's, it's just hearing what we hear about the way they run a room. But I thought Rojas's biggest mistake was how out of touch he was with that locker room.
0: Yeah. And not just the thumbs down thing. I remember with Rojas, the lack of accountability he gave his players was, was just hard to watch. I, I, I couldn't even watch his post-game press conferences. It got to a certain point where it was just like watching paint dry. Um, and another thing with Rojas that he did, I remember, was, I'm not sure if you recall, Evan, the, uh, the fight between McNeil and Lindor with the, oh, yeah. the, whole, oh, the whole rat raccoon thing. And uh, he asked yeah. about that, too. And he just said, I don't know. He said literally said, I don't know.
1: Yeah, like, and look, he may, have, he may have just been saying that to us, but it also reeked of a guy that just wasn't aware of what was going on in his yeah. room. Yeah. And one thing about Buck Walter, mainly from the experience that he has, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I think he's going to be fully aware of everything that's going on in that room.
2: Yeah, that's good to hear. And just like Tim, I'm a Yankee fan. Just to ask you about like the Yankees kind of managerial situation. I know most Yankee fans of me, I'm, I'm not thrilled with Aaron Boone. And I know they, they gave him kind of a three-year contract. I feel like kind of raw he didn't give him the accountability in those press conferences. So I'm kind of curious, what did you think about the Yankees giving Boone kind of three more years? I, mean, I don't,
1: trying? I don't, I don't think he was the biggest issue. I mean, just, Watching them every single day, watching them every single game, I never felt like Aaron Boone was the problem. I think he became an easy scapegoat because, you know, blame the manager. And and I understand that, but that was a flawed baseball team. And the Yankees need to get better. They need to have more guys who put bat on ball. They need more left-handed bats in the middle of their lineup. They need better starting pitching. Their bullpen got ravaged by injuries. And Zach Britton's not walking through that door next year anyway. And who knows what a role this Chapman is as he gets older. And that's their biggest issue. So I think the manager and the whole debate about Aaron Boone became kind of like the easy thing to attack. But their big issue is they're flawed. Like that, that's their problem. Like, I don't think the manager was the thing that held them back. Like, you could take the best manager in baseball. I don't think that means the Yankees win the AL East. I don't think it means they win the AL wild card game. Look, if Garrett Cole isn't going to be Garrett Cole and you're going to be trusting Andrew Velasquez to get big hits for you, you know. <laughs> You're not going to win. I mean, all you got to do is look at that Yankee team going into that wild card game. Garrett Cole stunk and their lineup was pathetic. Was that really Aaron Boone's fault? To me, it wasn't. No,
0: definitely not. And another thing for the Yankees, I remember uh, if, if we go by position by position in that lineup, I mean, there's definitely some talent there, but there are some gaping holes. Like, for example, the shortstop position. I mean, right now, what would it be Gio or Shell signing again? Their shortstop, Noah? I mean, I don't even know who would be playing shortstop right now for the Yankees if they didn't sign anybody and they have to sign somebody. But there's one free agent out there that Yankee fans have been calling his name for all offseason, Angelton Simmons. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos Correa, do you think there's a chance, Evan, that the Yankees spend their big money to get Correa for that lineup? i
1: will never, I'll never, i will never, I've too much experience, you know, watching this team and watching how they can tuck their business. I'll never say never about the Yankees spending big, because they have throughout my entire life even if it's not as much as what the older Yankee fan wants when thinking back to George. Yeah. But there's just, there's something that feels off about how Steinbrenner right now. Like, I don't think he's going to spend big money now. Would it stun me if he did? No, because again, the Yankee track record is just when they low you into that false sense of security, Oh, they're not going to spend, they'll go sign Mark to like they did when we all assumed like Xavier Nady and Nick Swisher was going to be their first baseman. So I can never say never, but there just seems to be this feel that the Yankees aren't going to spend big, that they're already invested in Garrett Cole. They're already invested in Giancarlo Stanton. They're going to have to pay Aaron Judge, and I I firmly believe that they will. So if I was a betting man, I'm not. But if I was, I would lean towards no, that they're going to go more stopgap at shortstop. They're going to wait on the young players that they have, and they're not going to end up with Carlos Correa. That's the way at least it feels to me right now when this lockout eventually ends.
2: Yeah, just to point out the lockout, I mean, obviously, I'm just curious, like, what is your prediction about the lockout? I mean, do you think we'll see spring training? you think we'll be March 31st, opening day? Like, what's your prediction about?
1: I I think we're all way too calm about this. Like, I think we're all just thinking, ah, it's December, no big deal. We're distracted. We're going to do that in January, too. And I think right as February starts, we as diehard baseball fans are going to start to get nervous. Mostly Met fans, because we have more to look forward to, no offense. We're going to start to say, holy, like, what the hell's going on? And if I had to predict, I think this is going to go right into mid to late February. I think it's going to delay the start of spring training, but I think eventually they will make a deal that just pushes things back a few weeks. We do get an opening day on time, but I do think it's going to scare us. Like, I think there are going to be some moments. If you remember back to 2020, when they were negotiating the abbreviated season, there was a moment where it looked like there wasn't going to be a season where they just weren't going to agree on anything. So I think we're going to get a scare. Now, there's going to be a moment mid-February where we're going to look at each other and say, holy matt they're going to F this up. Like, they're not going to start the season on time. And then I think eventually they will settle. So I'd go with, like, a late spring training start.
0: I can obviously see that. I mean, I don't think – I think that there's not going to be a 60-game season like there was in 2020 because of a lockout because that was just an unprecedented issue with COVID and everything. But I definitely can see a delay to spring training. But I kind of wanted to wrap back around because we didn't get to finish our conversation about – um the Mets signings. And you already mentioned, Evan, in this show, Scherzer, that was the icing on the cake to a dream offseason for the Mets. Uh, obviously, they got Max Scherzer for that three-year monster deal, biggest AAV in MLB history. They got Sterling Marte, a bonafide star in center field, demand that and shift Nimo to left. They got Mark Canna, who's an on-base machine. The batting average is pretty low, but the on-base percentage is super high with him. And Eduardo Escobar, who's got sneaky pop. I mean, he had 28 home runs last year. I believe he had 38 in uh, in 2019. But Evan, out of all these signings, who were you most excited for? And I know you're going to say Scherzer, but other than <laughs> Scherzer.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's I'm always partial to starting pitching. Like any debate I've ever had about Met Free Agency going back to – John Lackey's free agency. I don't know why that jumps out at me. I always want more starting pitching. So obviously, you know, we know how good Max Scherzer is. The idea of Jake and Max being in the same rotation, recreating, you know, Randy Johnson and Curt Schilling from 21 years ago is the dream. But it's Starling Marte because the Mets haven't had a real center fielder, a real every day, 140 game center fielder. Since Carlos Beltran, when yeah, you think that, about it, you is. know, <laughs> yeah, you could try to rationalize Angel Pagan and Juan Lagares and even Brandon Nemo, Brandon Nemo's had a tough time staying healthy. Like I don't think he's ever played more than a hundred games in center field in a season yet for this team. So it's been, it's been a decade of looking for a legitimate center fielder. And while Marte is getting a little bit older and it'll be interesting to watch him every day and see what he is defensively at this age. Cause I have a tough time trusting the defensive metrics as a real good indicator. Your eyes are going to tell you. We're going to watch this guy every day. We'll know what kind of defensive player he is. So, again, this may not last that long in terms of how well he can play center field defensively. But at least for now, they've added a real center fielder. And that's been something they've been looking for for years. So, while I like the Escobar move, and there's still some versatility on where he's going to play. Like, is he the opening day second baseman? Is he the opening day third baseman? He could be either one, depending on what they do once the lockout ends. And Ken is a nice little signing, but let's not, you know, let's not act like he's a superstar. Starling Marte is very, very exciting. And it's funny, when they signed Starling Marte, I was pumped up, but then quickly our focus shifted towards Max Scherzer and we forgot all about it. But now the Marte signing is really cool. It's going to be nice to have a real center fielder for a change.
2: Yeah, I agree. No, the Mets made a big, I, just, I mean, it's, a, it's like double out as a Yankees fan. I mean, do you really think that Max Scherzer is worth, I mean, the highest contract in major league baseball history? I mean, at age 37, well, he's worth that price. It's yeah,
1: because I mean, right now, yes, because he was great last year. Like that's not debated. We'd all know it. he was a finalist for the Cy Young. So at least he went into free agency, still pitching like an elite level guy look, what's he going to be this year? What's he going to be next year? We're taking a risk. I mean, I'd be the first one to admit it. We're taking a major risk with a guy at this age, but it's worth taking. Uh, When they signed Pedro Martinez, and and I understand that was a long time ago now. that was 17 years ago. Pedro was a lot younger. Pedro was not the same guy, and we knew it. Like, if you look at what he did in 2004, he was not Pedro Martinez, but we knew that upon signing him. Max Scherzer was Max Scherzer last year. He was. So that's the one thing that does excite me, that we've seen his dominance as recently as a few months ago. Now, what happened in the postseason is a different story. I think a lot of guys are going to have to battle with how much they were going to have left after the weirdness of 2020. So, look, what's Max going to do over three years? We'd all be guessing. I'm hopeful. Met fans are hopeful that he's going to be the guy he was last year. But the fact that he had a year last year in which he still was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball gives me hope. And, you know, I tweeted this out a few weeks ago, and maybe it was a more hopeful thing than anything. If you look at DeGrom's age and Serger's age, and you compare it to Randy Johnson and Curt Schilling, which is the creme de la creme of top two guys for what they did in 2001 and beyond, really 2001, they were basically the same age. So, I'm hopeful. And look, it's a three year deal. It's not a 10 year deal. So if it backfires, it was still worth the risk. That's the way I look at it.
0: I would say also that, no, like with with any other team, it would be a very, it would be a much higher risk signing a guy that old with that kind of contract. But to the Mets with $14 billion in Steve Cohen's pocket, there really aren't that many risky moves the Mets can make, in my opinion, anymore. I mean, Right now, there's no salary cap. There's a luxury tax, but that's not a cap. Teams view that as a cap, but it's not. Even Scherzer said that in his opening press conference that teams view that salary tax as a cap. It's not. So there really is no limit to Cohen's spending here. And we've seen that they have the highest payroll in baseball already Um, with the is it worth it argument. Look, I don't think a lot of contracts are worth it in Major League Baseball right now. Even, even the contracts like Garrett Cole, who's obviously a top-tier pitcher, is he worth that much money? Who knows? A lot of pitchers are not worth that much. But with the Mets, it's kind of hard now to make a bad move because they have so much money that right. really is no risk in my it's, opinion.
1: <laughs> it's the opposite of the Wilpon era, where any yeah. move you made, the risk was, is this going to hamstring them for the next right. five to ten years? Yep. That's not the case. Oh. So I agree with you. I mean, as long as Steve Cohen is willing to spend – what is the risk? You got to ask yourself that. What, what, what's the risk if Steve Cohen's willing to spend his way past it? Like if Max Schurz is a disaster, does that mean Steve's not going to spend next offseason? Or does that mean Steve's like, all right, well, let's go buy somebody else. <laughs> exactly. I mean,
0: with, with the wool ponds. If they, they would make deals and they were they were just cheap. Let's get that first. They were they were just cheap, but beyond that, they would make deals where they would try to not hamstring themselves in the future with Cohen. We've seen he signed Lindor last year, he was trying to sign Springer. He wouldn't have spent like $300 million if he was able to sign Springer and Lindor last year, Scherzer, Marte, all these players. The, Cohen has no limits. He is like a Steinbrenner with Twitter. That's what I think of Cohen as right now. Um, and there's really no limit to that. And I also wanted to point out, uh, Max Scherzer, and Evan, you mentioned that there's also not a big risk here because he was Max Scherzer prime last year. In 11 starts with the Dodgers, he had a 1.98 ERA. I mean, that that is – unbelievable he was great he was I mean, great i mean even in the latter part of the year last year he was fantastic and you know the whole dead arm thing whatever the pitchers are going to deal with that from time to time i this this signing in my opinion has to be in my opinion it's even bigger than lindor because like when you traded for lindor that was a big move i feel like the bigger move was trading for him and signing for him because once you traded for lindor everyone kind of knew they were going to sign him because you gave away some key players in that trade. But with Scherzer, they just went out and gave him $43 million a year just straight up. And I was like, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> it, w- it was the first time that he really Steinbrenner things. Yeah. Like There were guys um, who didn't want to come here. CC Sabathia, I don't think initially wanted to come here. And you pay someone enough money, they're going to want to come here. And Max Scherzer was the unreachable star. Because I remember during the trade deadline last year, we heard he doesn't want to come to New York. He doesn't want to be here. Who the hell would play for the Mets? And yeah, the Mets had to blow him away. I think we all fully acknowledge that. But that's the cool part. The cool part is the Mets did blow him away. So I think what's so cool about signing of Scherzer is that it never felt realistic, even like the day before it happened. And it was a real, for the first time, our welcome to being a different Mets universe. Because you're right. Look, they traded for Francisco Lindor, and they did give him a lot of money. But we've seen that before. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen that. That's not welcome that's to being a this, right? new New Met moment. Yeah. I think signing Max Scherzer and paying an absurd amount of money and getting him to come here, that was like our first, wow, we're sort of the Yankees kind of yeah. moment.
2: I agree. Cause like Ari and the Mets always say like, Oh, the Yankees always buy their championships. They buy their players. No, they, know, um, they you know, shouldn't Barnes have said is- that. Now it seems like it's, it's totally flipped. Like 180. Now the Mets are like the Yankees. It's, it's
1: crazy. Mets fans should never have said that. And I take pride in this, even dealing with the Yankees in the late nineties, which was tough in high school. I never would make that accusation against the Yankees <laughs> because you just never know. And now that the Mets are buying a bunch of guys, I don't need anybody telling me you're buying a championship. Give me a freaking break. I win a championship. My team wins a championship. I don't care how it happens. Like it it doesn't matter how it happens, just win.
0: No, I take it back.
1: Take it back. But yeah,
0: with another point I want to make about um about these Met signings, um, especially with Mark Canna. Now, obviously, he's no superstar. Let's get that. He's not a superstar by any means, but We signed him, I think it was like, what, $27 million over two years, a cheaper deal. He's got like a 358 on base percentage in like the past two years. Like that is very high for a guy who hits like 240. Um, And I can definitely see him playing every day. Now, my dad thinks otherwise, my dad thinks they should go out and get someone else like Chris Bryant to play left field every day. But I can definitely see Mark Cannon playing left field every day. Evan, do you see a... Kana being like an everyday player at this point, or do you think the Mets go out yes. and get
1: Ryan? No, I, I think that the intent is he's going to be an everyday player. Okay. And let, let's say Chris Bryant, because I think Chris Bryant's going to be the new, hey, the Mets should go get him. Yeah. If the Mets sign Chris Bryant, I think it means they're trading Jeff McNeil. Yeah. I think it means they're probably trading Dom Smith. So even if they did sign Chris Bryant, I don't think that means Mark Kana is a fourth outfielder. I don't think you pay Canada that kind of money. Without the idea of him being an everyday outfielder. Plus, Beatty's coming up. And when he comes up and potentially takes third base, that's when Chris Bryant could ship to the outfield. I think it's a part of why Chris Bryant makes a lot of sense. I think most of us are in the same spot. We'd love to have Chris Bryant, but considering what they've already done this offseason, we're not gonna, you know, we're freak greedy. out if they don't get it. <laughs> you know? We're getting greedy now. I mean, I want all the players. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Well, they need they need more pop. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like, if we're looking at this Met team, they're not perfect. I mean, it'd be insane to say they are. Are they going to be able to score enough runs? That was one of their biggest issues this past year. Okay. And look, one of the things that can change that is Francisco Lindor having a better year. But they did just lose Javier Baez. Michael Conforto was not walking through that door. Obviously, you need James McCann to be better. You want the same production out of Alonso. Then you look at Canna and Escobar and Marte. It does feel like they need one more back if we're being fair, uh, the the future of McNeil and Dom Smith are weird right now. I think they're trying to trade them. Now. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know what kind of deal it's going to be, but I, I'd be surprised if both McNeil and Dom Smith are on the Mets roster opening day, 2022. And by the way, keep this in mind, even during the lockout, GMs are talking trades, which I think is fascinating. Like you can't talk to agents. You can't talk to players, but There's nothing stopping Billy Epler from talking to other general managers about trades. So we'll see. But I I do think that come opening day, Mark Hanna is the everyday right fielder.
0: That makes sense. And and I, you kind of touched on three players that I want to talk about, too, in Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil. I want to throw in J.D. Davis there because I'm currently in the process of writing something for Mets website called Rising Apple about these three players who I think will be traded when the lockout ends. And the three players I'm writing about are J.D. Davis, Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil. But if there's one guy in that pack of three that I did not want to trade and I would rather keep. Is Jeff McNeil because of his because of his just his numbers that he's had over his career. I mean, he, he had a down year last year, but he's still two fifty. I mean, like it wasn't like he was garbage. Like he still he still hit a fairly high average. The two guys I would try to trade and try to get some prospects back for, and maybe open up Chris Bryant are Dom and JD because JD, yes, his bat is super nice, but he does he cannot field a ball for, for to save his life. JD was at third base, and Dom he had a good twenty twenty, but that's about it we've seen from him so far. Evan, would you rather keep McNeil out of those three? Or is there like another guy you say? No, I want to keep that.
1: (laughs) You know what makes this so complicated? A lot of it is, well, what am I getting for each guy? Mm. You know, well, am I getting prospects? Is there a package deal where I'm getting, you know, a veteran starting pitcher? So, I think what makes it so difficult sometimes to answer those questions is, well, what am I getting back? Now, in terms of who I value most as a player, I completely agree with you. It's Jeff McNeil. We've seen more from Jeff McNeil. Mm -hmm. First of all, he offers great versatility. He can play second. He can play third. He can play the outfield. I don't think he's terrible defensively at any of those positions. And it's tough to forget how good he was offensively Mm -hmm. in 2019. You know, it's it's tough to just kind of like, throw that out the window and think of just Jeff McNeil as the 2021 guy. So yeah, if I'm power ranking the three guys, McNeil would be one. Dom Smith would be number two, especially with the DH probably coming to the national league. I think he's a real slick fielding first baseman. As much as Alonzo's improved defensively at first, you give yourself some options with Dom's ability to play over there. And and yeah, I mean, you hit it with JD Davis. He's, he's not very good defensively. Can he be a, kind of a solid right-handed bat off the bench, sure. But we're also looking at a new world now where if there is a DH, the bats off the bench are used a lot differently than when there was a pitcher hitting. And you're looking for that big at-bat in the sixth inning or you're pinch hitting for a pitcher in the eighth inning. Now it's like we're an American League fans, like we're Yankee fans. Okay, who in this everyday lineup are you pinch hitting for? And there's a few guys I don't want to act like James McCann shouldn't be pinch hit for late in the game. But it just becomes different. I think the way you construct your roster, you kind of think differently about it, knowing that there's a DH. So a lot of it has to do with what I could get back. But if I'm you know power ranking the three guys, I would definitely go McNeil one, Dom two, JD three.
0: We're talking to Evan Roberts from the fan and Noah. You've been waiting there. I want to touch on this now. The Yankees, they have some stuff to do. Noah, I want to ask your opinion right now about what they should do. Because so far this offseason, they've done pretty much three things, right? they have Brought back Aaron Boone, which we touched on earlier in the show. They signed Luis Rojas to be their new third base coach, the superstar third base coach, Luis Rojas. And they also signed Jose Peraza, who had a big home run off Josh Hader this past year. Let's not forget that. That was a legendary moment.
1: Peraza Um, was good. Peraza (laughs) was good.
0: (laughs) Noah, I wanted to get your opinion on, do you think the Yankees do anything? And I know Evan already said that he... It's hard to doubt them, but he feels this is different. But, no, what do you think
2: about that? Well, first of all, I'm happy they don't have Phil Nevin anymore after the <laughs> car game and that that awful send, I mean, which uh, I thought that was the game changer of the game. But I, I still think they need to sign a starting pitcher. And I kind of want to ask Evan, like, what do you think the number one priority should be for the Yankees? I, I think they need another starter. I, I'm curious what you think.
1: Shortstop. I mean, they Shortstop. just – Look, they, they need a shortstop. I mean, clearly they can't go back to Gleyber Torres. You know, I think you mentioned earlier Gio Urshela could play third base right? A uh, shortstop right now. That's not the most ideal thing. I thought going into the offseason, the way I would kind of power rank it uh, as well is shortstop, center field, because I can't trust Aaron Hicks to stay no. healthy. <laughs> and then depending on what you do at shortstop, you look at first base, because obviously if you add a big time shortstop, you could be good with DJ LeMahieu playing first base. They could use another starting pitcher, but they got some high potential with the rotation they have right now. Think about it: Garrett Cole's in the rotation, and you hope that maybe there's a deal made about use of spider tack and illegal substances, and he's fine. Jordan Montgomery was really good last year. You're bringing back Luis Severino with the hope that maybe he can be the guy he was a couple of years ago. So I think they could use another sturdy arm in the rotation, but I don't think they necessarily have to go out and add a top of the rotation guy, I think it's more getting getting more athletic offensively, adding another left handed bat, getting a shortstop. I still look at the offense as really the number one thing that needs to be better, because we also don't know if Stan and Judge are going to stay healthy for a full year. They were pretty lucky last year with the fact that both of those guys were out there. So when you look at the fact that Rizzo's a free agent, they don't have a shortstop. They have no answer behind the plate. I mean, there's really who the hell is the catcher? Darry Sanchez again? Kyle Higashioka, who is probably a backup catcher, maybe even a AAA catcher, relying on Aaron Hicks to be the everyday center fielder. I think the biggest holes they have are in their lineup, and it's not just one spot. So, to me, that would be their biggest priority in my eyes.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm just, I'm just sick of all the strikeouts. I feel like, like in the regular season, like that whole home run or nothing approach, it can work. or you can get hit. Yeah, 200-plus home runs the regular season, win a lot of games. But in the playoffs, it just seems like there's less home runs. It's like year and year and year. And like they Look at the, the Astros.
1: Playoffs. Look at the Astros. Forget about the cheating for a second. They have such a balanced lineup. They never strike out a lot. Year after year after year, they're in the bottom half of the league in strikeouts. Sometimes they strike out the fewest times. Usually that's every year. That's the kind of lineup you want to build, I think. I mean, Cashman downplays and, ah, strikeouts. Doesn't matter. It does matter. I mean, I think there's a... There's a track record. Not that you can't win if you strike out a lot. I know the Rays strike out a million times. But when you're putting together a lineup, ideally, you're going to want to have more guys that put bat on ball, especially when two of your best hitters, two guys that you know are in the lineup, are Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. And they strike out a ton.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think Giancarlo, it's interesting, because I always thought I I hated Giancarlo. I was sick of the strike. Obviously, I loved him last year when he had that big run, but... No, I agree. I hate the strikeouts. I feel like it's just, it's so unproductive. Like, I feel like in the playoffs too, like you need guys to put the bat on the ball. It just seems like playoff baseball is different. The Yankees, like they've won a hundred games in the regular season, 2018. They won a hundred games, 2019, which like in the postseason, you need to put the bat on the ball.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
2: Stanton
0: is like the most fun hitter to watch. Like he will either be like, he could look like the worst hitter on the planet. Like when he swings in a ball, that's like thrown 40 feet from home plate and he swings at it at like, like 10, 10 miles an hour. Like, like it, it's, it's he can look the worst like you've ever seen when he swings sometimes. And then he'll just go off and hit like casually hit like three should have been home runs in Fenway Park in the wildcard game. Right? He's streaky,
1: man. He's, <laughs> he's wildly streaky, but, but the, the rule of thumb for him, and it's been this way his whole career is, just keep him on the field. Just find a way to get him to play 130, 140 games. And if he does, he's going to be productive. That, that That's his career. I mean, he may not be productive like he was in 2017 when he hit, you know, freaking 59 home runs, but just keep the guy on the field and you're going to get production out of him. And luckily for the Yankees, they finally were able to keep him on the field last year.
0: A couple more things. I want to hit on this. I have this in the back of my mind. So, I don't know if you saw this the other day, I've been on SNY, but there was, I think it was baseball night in New York and Todd Zeal made a comment about Marcus Stroman, about him being so-and-so divisive in the clubhouse. And obviously Stroman's got his, he's on Twitter a lot. That's an understatement, right? Marcus Stroman uh, uses, he uses Twitter a lot and he does happen to have some of these altercations with beat reporters and, and writers and things along those lines. And, and Todd Zill said it last night on um, BNY that Stroman is divisive in the clubhouse. And obviously the Mets, they were trying to get pitching this offseason. I feel like the Mets were looking at every other guy. And I, I think I, I was listening to the fan today and I'm, I'm not sure who said, I think it was Salakata who said this. Um, I think it was like a, it was like a noon, which would have been Lakata, right? Um, he said that the Mets, we're looking at pitching this offseason and that the only guy that he didn't hear the Mets looking at at all was Strowman. They were looking at Robbie Ray. They were looking at Kevin Gosman, Max Scherzer, um, Carlos Rodon. And the only guy they weren't looking at is the guy that they had on their team in 2021 who was like arguably the best out of any of their pitchers, Marcus Strowman. So is that actually an issue with Strowman, his divisiveness, or is that just blown well, up in the media? I,
1: first of all, I, I like Todd Zeal, but it, it really pisses me off when you make that comment now. Mm -hmm. Like, who cares now? So Marcus Stroman's a Chicago Cub. The Mets clearly didn't show any interest in him. Are you telling me Todd Zeal didn't know about that till yesterday? That Marcus Stroman is a divisive figure in the locker room? You could have said that a month ago or two months ago. I don't know what kind of figure Marcus Stroman was in the locker room. All I can do is look at the way the Mets approached this offseason. And they clearly didn't have any interest in bringing him back. And considering how productive he was and considering the contract he got, Then, yeah, it's definitely a fair conclusion to come to that the Mets know him best and they didn't want him back. But I I just, it always annoys me when that comes out now. Like, I don't, I don't love the idea of killing a guy when they're gone. If you got something to say about a guy, you know, say it. Could have said it two months ago. So, yeah, clearly based on the Mets' actions, they didn't have an interest in bringing Marcus Stroman back. Um, And they know him best because, they knew him in that locker room. And and clearly, not just to pick on Stroman, it does feel like the Mets want to change the locker room. Yes. Uh, which is part of why I think Jeff McNeil's gone. And that's not a knock on Jeff McNeil, but what did we talk about earlier? He got into a fist fight with Francisco Lindor, who's not going anywhere. He ain't going anywhere. So it does feel like the Mets want to change that room a little bit. And yeah, it's obvious based on the rumors that were there and not there that they never really had much of an interest in bringing Marcus Trowman back. I do think it'd be nice to add one more starting pitcher instead of trusting David Peterson or Tyler McGill to be in the rotation. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how expensive they want to go and what kind of level pitcher they want to add behind the four guys that are locked into a rotation spot, Jake, Max, Carrasco, and Taiwan Walker.
0: This is a random tangent but evan when you said when I, mean, I couldn't agree more about bring something up now like after the fact it should have been put up long ago that reminds me of in 2017 when the after the or not in 2017 in 2019 or whenever the Astros shooting scandal came out um and the person who kind of blew all it up was mike fires right and he was right. on that team in 2017 and he didn't say anything until he got his ring right that's what it kind of reminds me of like why not say anything then like why didn't todd zeal or whoever was behind the scenes Bring it up in their faces then.
1: Well, right? it's because it's, it's also like a non-story now. I mean, to yeah. say it now, well, Stroman's a Cub. Yeah. The Mets moved on. Well, It's it's easy to say that now. I was actually going to bring this up on the air, so you remind me. I never got to the attend- <laughs> show Craig and I did on Monday. But it, it just annoyed me. And I, I got nothing against Todd Zia. Zee- I like Todd Zia, Zee- but it's like, mm-hmm. dude, well, did you just find out yesterday that Marcus <laughs> Stroman was a, quote, divisive figure? That you ju- If you just found that out yesterday, okay, fine. But I have a tough time believing that's how it occurred, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. So it's uh, kind of a of like a general baseball
2: question. It's kind of like, R and I, like, we both love baseball. I know, Evan, like you love baseball. Like we're living and dying every pitch. You know, we're staying up till 1 a.m. for those West Coast games. But like, you know, R and I will think we're both at college. I mean, I'm at Rutgers, ours at Temple. And we see like kind of like young people, they're not as into baseball, like as into the other sports. So I want to ask you like, what do you think baseball should do kind of to attract young fans? Cause I feel like a lot of baseball fans might be older, you know, I was into it. Like what does baseball have to do maybe with the pace of play or different things to attract young people, like back into, you know, loving and loving baseball.
1: It's tough. I mean, I think speeding the game up would certainly help. I mean, I'm not that old, but when I was a kid, games were not three and a half hours right. and I'm not, you know, 80 years old talking about like the 1940s here. I mean, in the 1990s and the early 2000s, the games moved quicker. So I think that would help. I just think we have to accept that even since I was a, was a kid, baseball has become very, very regional. And so I, I don't know what you can do. Like, I could sit here and tell you, market the stars more. Make everybody see Mike Trout all the time. I don't know. I mean, I think what we have in New York, and they have it in Boston, but not a lot of places around the country, is a deep passion for the teams that we root for And look, I can't speak for you guys. I know I love all baseball, but a lot of Yankee and Mets fans just want to watch the Yankees and the Mets. It's not like the NFL where they're going to watch any game that's on TV. Again, there are some baseball fans who watch everything. I acknowledge that. But even in New York, where we're so diehard, we're diehard about our teams. You know, we're not glued to the Atlanta Brave Houston Astro World Series. So I think just that's the way baseball is. It's become such a regionalized game. But I think for those that do watch it, the ones that are kind of on the fence, speeding it up would really help because the game has more downtime than ever before. I've actually studied this more than I should. It's slowed down because there's just there's 30 seconds between pitches. There's 40 seconds between pitches. And that's not the way it used to be. So pitchers are taking much longer and it's usually bullpen arms that are doing it. So I think if you put a clock in and said, look, you got to move, you got to throw that baseball every 15 seconds, it would do wonders for the pace of play. And I think it would change the game in a positive way.
0: Yeah. And that definitely is a valid point. And another thing I just thought of off the top of my head, because no one, I've had debates about this a lot or not, not debates. We, we agreed on it actually right now about the robotic strike zone and whether we not we want mm-hmm. that in the game. I don't want that in the game. I'm okay with replay, but I don't want a robotic strike zone back there because again, I, I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, why don't you want to see the right call made? I like the manager-umpire altercations. That's entertainment to me. I, I I, mean, obviously, you don't want your team to get screwed, but it's just, it's just part of the game. And what do you think about that, Evan? Do you want yeah, the robotic strike zone or- but
1: you, but you know what? I, I tell you why I'm okay with the robotic strike zone. Okay. <laughs> um, as long as – and look, in fairness, we need to see how it's executed, how accurate it is, if it works, right. all that. Remember when – uh, managers used to argue with the first base umpire on a play at first base. <laughs> well, we don't have that anymore yeah. because we have replay. So how can you really argue? Do you really miss that? I mean, that's what I would ask you. Is it really that big of a deal that we don't get to see a manager, you know, Lou and go crazy and throw up, you know, dig out whole plate and throw it at the end of the day, as entertaining as that may be, I want them to get it right. That's truly what I want. I want the calls to be accurate. And sometimes you sit there and you invest three and a half hours in a baseball game and you watch Angel Hernandez call balls that are not balls and strikes that are not strikes. And so it's frustrating, especially if a game ends that way. So I just want them to get it right. And if the robotic strike zone works and it can be used effectively and it doesn't change the game in a crazy way, like I don't know if this would be the case, but. If batters start to know the strike zone so well, because it's 100% the same, that all of a sudden they're hitting 380 on average just because guys know the zone better, we may have to take a look at that. I don't think that's what we want. So, again, as long as the results aren't, you know, insane, I just want them to get the calls right. That's my prayer.
0: No, you're a big Angel Hernandez fan, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's fantastic.
2: (laughs) I, mean, I, I do kind of like the excitement though. Like with the arguments, like, you know, kicking first base. I do like that. Also, I feel like the robotic strikes that would take out framing. I mean, like catcher
1: framing is having kind of a big great, but <laughs> do we really need catching framing? We need strikes to be strikes and balls to be balls. No, That's like Gary, it's career would be ruined if they took out framing. Such a great <laughs> <framer>. <laughs> but yeah,
0: anyway, Evan, this has been a blast. We really appreciate the time on the podcast today. Again, Evan Roberts from WFAN, Carter Roberts, amazing afternoon radio show on WFAN 660, 101.9 FM. Great show. I always try to call into the show, but it's so popular. It's always busy. So I never get in <laughs> because it's so popular, which kudos to you. you run a great show. But Evan, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.